This is the Horse Radio Network. Well, welcome, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek, the founder of the Horse Radio Network, and welcome to Ask Monty Live, another special live event for the horse world brought to you by the Horse Radio Network, the leading equine-related podcast network in the world with over 15 shows, including the Horsemanship Show, Horsemanship Radio Show brought to you by Debbie Laux, Monty's daughter. Down below, you're going to see a share button. Please hit the share button and share this to your personal page. That way, more people can enjoy hanging out with Jamie and Monty. Uh, you know, we're doing these to help you take your mind off. Well, you know what? Uh, we're not even going to mention that word tonight. That's not allowed. Uh, a few days ago, we presented Templeton Thompson in concert with a terrific music. And we'll do another one of those concerts ne next week. And we're going to have musicians from the United States and Australia. Look for the announcements there. And please write in the chat and tell us where you're from. Tell us what country, what state you're from. Put that in the chat. If you have any questions for Monty, we'll try and get to them. You can write those in the chat, too. I'll keep an eye on that. Uh, we have some fans that signed up ahead of time to speak to Monty, and they're already waiting. So uh, they're going to be on live with Monty, which is pretty cool. And Jamie also. And I would like to now introduce you to the host of tonight's show. She is my partner on, well, on the Horses in the Morning show for over 10 years, over 2,500 episodes. She is also a certified Monty Roberts instructor, Jamie Jennings. Hello, Glenn. Thanks so much for having me. This is very exciting. I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of this, not, not only to keep people's mind off the obvious, but also to, you know, just to talk horses, to sit around and chat about horses with my favorite horseman of all time, uh, Monty Roberts. So I'm, I'm thrilled. Obviously when we started this 10 years ago, I was not a certi certified Monty Roberts, uh, instructor, but became one during the course of the last 10 years, last five years, really. And, uh, it's been probably one of the most fun journeys I've ever taken. And uh, I'm really proud of I, it. I, and I'm I happy to be here. Talk about a big circle. You met Monty because of the show, because of our show. So I did. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I mean, it's just because his daughter was going to be there, and I just wanted to pop in and say hi, and then they made me stay. And yeah, for I... years <laughs> and all that torture. Well, I'm going to jump out here. Have a good show, everybody, and you can introduce the main. All right. Well, please welcome. I, I don't think that he needs much introduction, but um, he is the man who listens to horses, a best-selling author, and um, one of the greatest horsemen, 50 greatest horsemen of all time, according to uh, the Horse and Hound magazine. Please welcome Mr. Monty Roberts. Hi, Monty. Hi, Jamie. How you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. What are you spending your days doing right now, now that we are all... Uh, sequestrians yeah sequestrians and i am one you know um i don't think i've been off this place uh, in about i think it's uh, three weeks now or so wow. and um but holy moly jamie am i having time with my horses or not and my dear i'm not saying my dear to you <laughs> my dear four-legged deer I was just with 14 of them just outside my house before I came in to start this uh, discussion that we're going to have and this question and answer period we're going to have. And they all said to say hello to you. And it's just amazing what they can teach you because these deer are 10 times more sensitive than a horse in the same 
factors of behavior that the horse has, which is a flight animal. And that's what's amazing is when you, if you're ever lucky enough to have the opportunity to drive up to Monty's house, you will have to go very slow. Not because, I mean, obviously you go slow passing around the house, but because there's deer everywhere and they just hang out and they just spend time. They find your front yard, a safe spot and they're wild deer. You didn't breed these. You didn't raise these. They are just wild deer that find comfort uh, being at your, your farm. I mean, it's so funny every time. I go to flag is up. I have to take pictures of the deer. Uh, I call it the traffic jam. Traffic was a nightmare on the way to the farm because you have to wait for, you know, six or seven to cross the road in front of you. It's great. Yeah, that's so true. And um, yeah, Ruby was here tonight. She says to say hello. Um, <laughs> she was Benny's mom, you know, uh, and uh, Benny is, is buried here. Uh, and that's a story of its own. But uh, Queen Elizabeth II named him Benediction. Mm-hmm. And a Benediction is a blessing. And he was a blessing to me. And he adopted me because he was born premature. And he adopted me because he was going to die otherwise. And, oh, my word, we, we were so close for 435 days. But he was born so small that his vital organs couldn't grow to support an adult. And... Uh, he just laid down and went to sleep, which is all part of the whole thing because he taught me so much along the way. And he has a gravestone out there now that's appropriately inscribed. And um, mm. and each, each evening or morning that I spend, my clock has been set for 5.30 every single morning since I got back from uh, Australia in January and February. And over there, I was set for 4.30 every morning. But I love it when I get up and I'm with these animals. If we could break through and understand what they're trying to tell us, it is so entertaining. I I can't begin to tell you how much they can teach you. The little things in life. Ask yourself, what is positive thigmotaxis? Ask yourself that because it's the most important behavior that any horse can show to you. And yet I've only had one person raise their hands in all the equestrian or what they call uh, equine science courses in the universities of the world that I've talked to. So we've got a long way to go, Jamie, a long way to go. And there's some good questions tonight. I got about four hours worth right here. (laughs) Well, let's see how far we can go. Uh, Let's bring in our first guest. Her name is Karina. She is from Maine. And Karina, you're on with Monty Roberts. Hi. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have my question answered. Well, Well, Jamie, Jamie, uh, for Karina, I have a trophy. I, 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 I have to give you a trophy. Because you have asked a question that not only has never been asked of me before, but I don't think this question has ever been posted by any horseman since the beginning of time. I'm, wow. I'm curious. Can you wait, Jamie? I can't wait to hear it. I haven't read these ahead, so I'm excited. This is so a big her deal. Question, her question starts like this, Jamie. My new 
very green, 11-year-old mare. Now, if you have a very green 11-year-old mare, then she's got to live to be 85 or 90 before she's fully developed. There is no such thing as a green 11-year-old. The things they've learned by the time they're 11 will outshine us altogether because we don't live in that world of flight animals. So you go on to say that um, she, that's a mare that is anxious and grumpy about picking up the center, the canter. Oh yeah, she cow kicks and she goes into my leg and twists herself around and tries to buck and all of that stuff. Karina. That is thigmotaxis. Horses go into pressure. When you put your leg on them, that's why the dressage people say, we have to ride them for two or three years before they learn to go off our leg or else they'll disunite when they change leads. And you know, if they go about it in a way that is traditional, it's true. That's going to happen. However, I've recently discovered, and when I say recently, in the last four or five years, I've discovered that at about 12 months of age, we can teach them to go off pressure. But thigmotaxis is that area of behavior whereby the horse goes into pain instead of away from pain. Now that seems silly, but everybody that's ever ridden a bucking horse in competition knows that when your feet go down inside the chute, They'll trap your leg against the wall. And if you try to push them off, they'll just push harder. But if you put your spur on the other side, then they'll move toward that and you can take your leg out. I like to think of it for people that haven't been around bucking horses like me. When you have a horse in the cross ties, I mean, bucking, not on purpose. Uh, when you have a horse in the cross ties and you go to push them away they immediately come and lean back into you. And Monty, th there's a, a very good explanation for why horses go into pressure. Maybe you can explain that for Karina. Well, it, it is that time in their development where survival of the fittest meant that if the dog bit them in the flank, they didn't just run away. They went into the dog and kicked him in the head and then the dog opened his mouth and then they could run away. So it's into pressure that they do. And we are into pressure too, but only in our mouth. If you've raised children, you know that when the gums are really sore and the teeth are coming in, they want to bite down on something rubbery or hard. And that's called the teething process. And if we hadn't done that during that course of time, when we had sores in our mouth, and remember there was no dentist when we lived in the caves. So when we bite down on that, we, we can eat. Otherwise, we don't eat. We go away from the pain. Then we die and we don't reproduce. So it's survival of the fittest. And that's called thigmotaxis. And horses are into pressure. But I've developed a system now. And you can go on my online university and see a, a class, a, a, a lesson in how to cause horses to go off pressure instead of onto pressure. And you can, you can learn it on there.
And um, you can't ask me to tell you the answer to every question in the world. So I'm doing this thing online where we have, I think, 700 lessons now or something like that. And go there and learn that. And I have a textbook called From My Hands to Yours. See, see the things there that I've learned over the course of these only 83 years now, 82 years in the horse business. I wasn't in the horse business till I was three. <laughs> and I'm 85 next month. Wow. So, so in that period of time, I have learned so much and I can't give it to you in five minutes. It's just not possible. But well, I'm really trying to put it all out there. Well, Karina, I would say go watch the lessons on moving off pressure. And some of that should really um, allow you to teach her to move off the pressure. And then you might get some, a less reaction. Would you say, Monty, when she does ask for the canter, she says the horse cow kicks and counter bends and all that and kind of moves into her legs. So that would be the definite uh, start for that kind of answer. Karina, does that help you with your question? Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I would say she, like at the walk and trot, she is quite good at moving off the leg. I mean, she's very, she can leg yield. She can do all sorts of those sorts of things. And on the ground, she's done a lot of groundwork with moving away from pressure. And I've done um, that sort of thing. So I think um, my question is more like, uh, my question is really, how do I teach her to canter in a way that like once she's ready and maybe she's feeling better, how do I teach her to canter in a way that it's positive and not negatively associated with the anxiety she already has associated with that issue? Yeah, she'll wait to go into pressure when she's excited about expressing herself as a horse. Mm. And now that she knows how to go off pressure, that's fine. But when you're riding her and she's feeling up about it all, she'll go into pressure and kick your foot off. Well, that's still thigmotaxis. And when she does that, she has to suffer a, a scolding, which is generally, in my world, a stop and a back up, and then go the other direction, and then invite it again. Invite it. Do the things that cause it, and then scold again. Not with violence, but with stopping, turning, putting in little circles. Jamie can tell you about that one. Um, cause them to go in little circles, yielding to the bit for a, a little while, and then step off again. And you'll see that they will eventually say, you know, it's not worth it. Mm. She, she's just going to put me through this thing again. And you never can miss the opportunity. You have to do it every time. And it has to be done instantly because they – they only have about three seconds to process it for its conclusion that it's a consequence that happened because I did this or because I did that. Gotcha. Wonderful. Thank you. And, and thank you so much, Karina, for calling in with your question. Hopefully that answered. Go check out moneyrobertsuniversity.com. You can watch some videos. It's a free day pass. And also, if you just want to subscribe, it is so affordable as far as uh, training methods go and, and, uh, Go check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. But yeah, this that's a great answer. Monty, by the way, I'm I think I'm still dizzy sometimes from all the small yeah. circles I'd had to do with that bolter. But, but Karina, 
please let us know. Go back to Jamie on the radio and stuff and, and, and say what's happening with your situation so that we know we've helped you. And if we haven't, we'll help you again. Perfect. Uh, next, I'd like to bring up Juliana from Alabama. I love it. Hey, oh my gosh, is she on her horse right now? Hi, Juliana. I ride with Monty Roberts. Hi, y'all. <laughs> well, you are officially riding with Monty Roberts. I can die happy now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I believe that Monty has a copy of your question. Um, Since you're a bit far away, Monty, you want to just go ahead and you want me to read it and then uh, you can answer it. You can. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Juliana's question here, and uh, you can look at her sit there, stare at that pretty buckskin she has. I've been taking my horse for hand walks a lot lately, and we sometimes jog together, but when I pick up the trot, he tends to arch his neck, bow his shoulder away from me, and kick up a little in a playful manner. I usually just giggle at him, and we continue on. He does not do this under saddle. Does this behavior mean anything in particular, and is there a training opportunity I should be doing instead of ignoring it and giggling at it? (laughs) Giggle a lot. The answer is yes. Yes, it means something in particular. It means he's a horse. (laughs) And that he's doing what horses do. And if you see them in a field running beside one another, they do exactly what he's doing with you. And if you don't want that to happen, the dually halter that I've designed and I have it out there, maybe you have one already, I don't know, but you need to stop that action immediately when it happens. Uh, otherwise, you can be injured badly uh, with a horse. That's, that's how they get rid of their enemies and how they play with their brothers and sisters too. But a foot against your ribs is not a desirable activity. So, so you need to pull that head towards you, give them a rub, but they need to feel that dually halter get tight and come round and then give them a rub and trot off again. Invite them to do the thing that's wrong. But picnic, positive instant consequences and negative instant consequences. And the negative instant consequence for this is the dually halter. Stop, turn toward you, get a nice rub. All right. Well, thank you so much, Julia. You have now ridden. And talk to Monty Roberts at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Have fun now. Juliana from Alabama. I love it. All right. Well, I do believe, Glenn, are we ready? I don't know if you know this person or not. We're going to talk to Joanne, who is in Anaheim. Oh, Glenn, I can't hear you. Sorry about that. Joanne is not here yet, but we do have Jill is ready. All right. Put her on. Let's go to Jill then. We've got Jill from Pittsburgh. Hey, Jill. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Hi, Jill. Hi, Monty. How are you? Just so you know, Monty, I know Jill. She's a a longtime listener, and she is on the front lines of this um, epidemic that we have going on. And Jill, I just want to thank you for being. She's a medic and a a helicopter medic too, so she is. She's got her hands in it. So, sorry, flight nurse, flight nurse, flight nurse. Yes, yes. Well, okay. thank you for that. I just got home. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Well, do we do we have to thank you for what you're doing? I, I know it gets old to hear it all the time, but we need to say it every chance we get that um, you. you are you are the difference uh, in this terrible thing we're going through. And I listened to the Queen last night say the same thing for her group in England. And I have a group in Australia who's going through the same thing. So um, we owe it to you. Jamie and I are bowing down to you right now. Oh, I'm going to bow down. <laughs> yeah. And, and thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and um, this business of your horse bolting off after even uh, an insignificant little jump, um, that's something that stops me cold in my tracks because that is not difficult to overcome. Okay. That, that is an easy one to overcome. And I know you've already been on the ground uh, from it. That's not fun. And it's it's not what your horse wants and it's not what you want. But the, right. first, the first, time it ever, first time it ever happened, your horse was the winner. And it probably shocked you to the extent that you went for 15 or 20 seconds maybe even a minute before you gathered yourself to realize what was going on. Yeah. You know, this, mm -hmm. this, this snaffle bit that you indicate that you've been riding with is probably not the answer for this. And maybe okay. you need to go to a Pelham for the schooling part of this. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Yes, I understand what the Pelham is. Um, I have not used it, but I have my my barn trainer does, so she she understands that bit. Yeah, and and I don't mean to use it for pain. I mean to use it for control. The snaffle okay. is not a control mechanism. The the pelum is, and what you need to do is go over this little insignificant cross member X jump, whatever it, you want to call it. And sit there and look down the neck of your horse and say, go ahead, do this bolting off thing. Because you're going to stop like a stock horse. You're going to stop on your tracks and you're going to back up three steps and then you're going to counter forward again. And we're going to go around in a big circle and we're going to jump that little jump again. And I'm going to just act as though I don't even know what I'm doing. So you can bolt again, but one step of bolting and you're going to stop hard, back up a couple of steps, go forward again. And you do that and you'll watch down your horse's neck as he learns, I can't do this. It isn't worth it. I'm going to jump and I'm going to continue to canter and I'm going to give up on this business of trying to get her on the ground. Um, it's, it's just a game that he's playing with you and he's winning and you need to get equipped to do it right. And you need to have your mind, your mind right before you go over that fence and you'll get it done. And okay. keep, keep in mind, Jill did say that she has had the vet out. She's ruled out, but she's had the saddle fitter mm -hmm. out. She has done everything possible before the training to even to get this horse to feel good and to feel right. And so, yeah, that's what you're saying is, is he's, He's playing with you, and you need to to do what money says. He's amazing, isn't he? 
Yeah, yeah. thank you very, very much. I, but, yeah, but I, I, needed, I needed a tool. <laughs> we need to congratulate you um, in front of all of the listeners about your first thought, which was let's check him out physically to be sure that there isn't some pain there causing this. And you did that. But no matter what it is, pain or not, you need to stop stop it down now because you can be in pain too. <laughs> and, and your horse doesn't want that and you don't want that. No. So you need to get this stop that instant um, that okay. horse bolts. And then... And if you if you feel like you're behind um, the, the curve uh, from a physical standpoint that you maybe you're dislodged enough where you can't stop him, put a pro on him the first few times that you stop and take a step back. Put somebody on him that sure enough knows what they're doing and then you get on and do it. Keep yourself safe. You tell all of your clients to stay safe, don't you? And I'm going <laughs> yeah. to stay safe. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you, Jill. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, Glenn, who are we going to go to now? I still see Juliana from Alabama's name on the bottom of the screen, and she was a couple ago. So, um, Glenn, if you can mess. Oh, we're going to go to, I guess, Chantel. Here we go. We've got Chantel from New York. Hey, Chantel, how are you? Hi. I'm great. How are you guys? Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and to uh, coming up with a question for Monty. I do think that your question is one that is very important, I think, to me and to to everybody who trains uh, younger horses and you want to prepare them for the show. So uh, Chantel's question was, what do you think the best way to prepare a young horse for their first show or their trip, first trip away from the farm is, Monty? And Chantel, I'm going to sit back and listen to (laughs) <laughs> you know, Chantel, it's it's such a great question for me because I took my first trip away from Salinas, California at four years of age to go off on the road in competition on horses. And I had a wonderful man came, named Dick Farnsworth, Richard Farnsworth. He went on to win an Oscar later as an actor, but he was my groom at the time. And Ooh, fancy. <laughs> Well, I was only four years old. My father went with us to this trip down to the Los Angeles area and out to the Pickwick Saddle uh, Club. And uh, they saw me there, a four-year-old in competition, and I won the class up to, I think they were up to 12 years of age or something like that. And, but I was already a pro. I was already riding eight or nine horses a day and not going to school. At four years, you don't go to school. <laughs> but anyway, um, I was there, and it was an incredible thing that a, a, a fellow from the motion picture business saw me and asked me to start doing stunts because all through the 40s, they did about three out of five movies had a child and a horse in them that they did in the forties and they couldn't get children to be stunt people. But my father would rent me out for anything. So I became a stunt person that that's my early time. And what did I do? What did I learn about preparing a horse to make his first trip 
on a show circuit or the young horse to get in on the road. Well, all through these decades, not years now, but decades, I've learned a lot. And one of the things is water. Horses don't like to change their water. Um, they don't like the taste of water in a lot of the cities where they put a lot of chlorine and stuff like that in there. And they have electrolytes that are flavored electrolytes. And if you flavor the water at home, and I've learned that most horses like orange more than apple electrolytes. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. strange to me. But if you go down the road and you have water in all these towns that you go to, and you put a little of their electrolytes in it, then it's their same water and they will do better. Colic will colic events will fall right off the record. Um, and um, you should take enough of the food that they're accustomed to so that they can go down the road and, and eat the same thing and not be changing around that much. And you should choose something that is pretty neutral that you, if you need to augment it on the road, that you can get that easily like cracked oats and things like that. But also that you give them a trip or two, even if it's into the town and they, they can hear trucks going by and hear the horns of cars beeping and, and the city traffic and stuff like that, stopping and starting and learning how to ride in a, in a vehicle. I am the first person on the face of this earth to travel with horses on a 45 degree angle to the road. It's called slant hall. Mm -hmm. I'm the first person to ever have one of those trailers. And it's a long story. I won't go into it. But slant hall is better than facing forward or facing back. If you think about their body and facing forward, you stop and they have to go ooh, like this and, their legs don't work that way. If they're on a 45, they can step sideways and brace themselves and they're much happier. There's a thousand things that you can think about. Parking by an airport so that they hear the planes coming over the, the, the um, truck that they're on or the trailer that they're on is an mm -hmm. incredible uh, uh, way to get them ready for going to other places. If you have an opportunity to go where there's an audience, a crowd, or loudspeakers, and things like mm -hmm. that. If you yeah. have that opportunity, play a radio and, gotcha. and, and let them see and hear things that they're going to see on the road. And mm -hmm. then they will be in a position to do a better job for you in the competition that you're going to go into. Okay. So That's if... I mean, I, I think that that's great. And that is the general like horse care. But what happens, Monty, when you when you get a horse to say their first outing and they unload off the trailer like like they're just utterly frightened? Do you recommend that you just do that a hundred times before you do compete or what? How do you how do you advise that? What I recommend is that. Most horses will accommodate the situation after three or four visits to a particular scary thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, So you do it three or four times. And until they accept it, you just don't go down the road. Um, we rode, my team and I, including Pat, 
We rode five Mustangs down Colorado Boulevard with a million people there and the, the supersonic jet going over. Mustangs. And we had five months to prepare them and ride five miles down Colorado Boulevard. And they never put a foot wrong. Not one of the five did a thing wrong. Now, how in the world did we do that? Just the way I was telling you. They, we took them into Solvang and created our own little parade, riding them down the street with people going, <laughs> oh, look at the yeah. horse. You know, <laughs> and uh, I parked at Santa Barbara Airport and let the planes land right over the trailer. And um, when, when we got there, there were horses eight, 10 years old that other people were riding that were going crazy when the airplane went over and stuff. And our Mustangs were going, we're, this is old news, man. We're <laughs> cool with this. And it was, it was wonderful. So yes, preparation is 90% of what you're doing. Chantal, yeah. does that answer your question? Yeah. And you know what I think is super helpful is in quarantine when there's no horse shows, this is all sorts of homework I can, I can work on. So that's really, really helpful. Thank you. You know, when, when uh, Shy Boy was going down the road and going to our demonstrations and people were loving him, you know, um, he wasn't on electrolytes at first. And I, I don't know, I just let it slip away, you know. And my God, I got up into Oregon somewhere and he got colicky and he wasn't drinking and bam, I got his electrolytes out and, and I went to a, a feed store and got electrolytes put it in his water, boom, off we went, clear down to Fort Worth, Texas, and all over the place, and he was just fine. So little things like that make a big difference. Right. And yeah. those, cool. if you don't know, Shy Boy is still living his best life at Flag is Up Farm and um, pretty much comes into Monty's house and to the classroom <laughs> and to the bar and goes everywhere on Monty's farm. That yeah, I know, but he, he's only 27, so... <laughs> <laughs> he's old enough to Bring drink. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a grave spot here, you know, with a blank stone on it. And he's 27. And now we're in a race to see who's going to go in that place before the oh. other. So. Oh. <laughs> well, he is definitely a, long, <laughs> a long lived Mustang. I know money just talks about stuff like that. Well, Chantel, <laughs> thank you so much for calling yes, in with you. your question we appreciate it thank you hey guys i think uh we should take a uh question from the chat and then we'll get to joanne and we have a couple of others here waiting but let's uh here there's the question okay hi money i'm a new horse owner and i have a 20 month old colt i've never done a join up he's already pretty connected to me would it benefit me to do one and should i wait or should i wait until he's a little older from kevin yeah kevin hi and thank you for your question. And I wrote a textbook called From My Hands to Yours. And it has an outline of what I recommend on the join-up process. And um, my word, I do join up as soon as the baby stops calling for its mother. I go to the round pin and do the first join-up. When it's independent of its mother, then you can go ahead. You never should come between a foal and its mother uh, until the weaning process is done. But after that, two or three join-ups are fantastic. 
And um, I just was on the phone today with the Queen's um, uh, manager of the place where she does her foals. And she was just telling me that each one of the foals has now done uh, their join-ups and they are weaned from their mothers from last year's crop. And um, so now we're, we're willing, we're going ahead to get ready for the first saddle and first rider probably in September. So uh, yeah, you can do join up as soon as the process of weaning is over with. And the earlier you do it after that, the better it seems to work. So, and then, and then it's done for life. You don't have to do more than three or four. And then you come back six months later and boom, they know exactly what it's all about. Mm -hmm. I love when you told me it was like a conversation. A uh, join up is like a conversation and you don't want to have the same conversation every day over and over. It gets boring. Um, yeah. So I do love that. Now, I do believe we have Joanne from Anaheim. Hi, Joanne. Hello. Monty, I do believe you may recognize Joanne. Oh. She's one of your board members. I know this Joanne. I didn't know this was Joanne. <laughs> well, um, Joanne, what is your question? My question is in regards to introducing a new horse to a group on a trail ride. So is it best to be at the back? or and just wait and see how your horse reacts and then feel comfortable and joanne you've you've put your finger straight on it yes you should start at the back of the pack with a baby that hasn't met other horses and strange horses on the on the trail yes it's true you start at the back because they don't want to be out front trying to lead people that they've never met before and and they're going to a place they've never seen before but if they have horses going in front of them, they will almost uh, use them as teachers. Uh, all of this is okay. All right. It's all right with me. And each one that you go to, you stay well out of the kick zone uh, for a period of time. And if the trail is too narrow, then ride behind until you have enough space where you can stay out of the kick zone and ride up beside them. And they'll look over at one another and maybe it's an older horse that they're getting acquainted with. And the older horse will look a little bit and then just walk on. And they may be more inquisitive and try to go up a little closer and stuff. Just be careful not to get in the kick zone. And, uh, and then the next horse and the next horse. And within a, a day or so of riding on trails like that, they'll be used to it and, and do it without any problem at all. Great to see you on TV. Good to see you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Joey. I appreciate it. Well, this I just is so important to us, Jamie. They've just been fantastic. And they came, I think it was oh, six or seven years ago, they came to their first uh, clinic with us here. And uh, they've just been uh, fantastic uh, friends and board members almost ever since. So great well, friends. You will see Joanne and her husband and, and their son um, pretty much at every horse sense and healing. She volunteers at every single one of them. And just thank you so much for, for being see, there. We can always count on her. You see shy boy right over her head there Uh huh. <laughs> That's shy boy on the left screen left uh, running in the wild. And then the same position Pat did a sculpture of him 
uh, in bronze. And, and let me show you one more. Hold on. I was wondering if she was in your house, Monty. I know, but that's him. It looks great. We also have Pat's sculpture of Tucker. Oh, look at oh. there. Custom Tucker made sculpture. That Joanne adopted. And uh, he's here on the farm and he helps with the post-traumatic stress people that we do clinics for here. It's a fantastic operation that, um, and, and he, he really has become a wonderful example for these uh, veterans that need to trust again. And they, if they can gain his trust to the extent that he walks up to them, then they have helped themselves heal from not post-traumatic stress disorder. It's not a disorder. It's an injury and it should have been called PTSI because injuries heal and disorders tend not to heal. So we don't call it PTSD. It's PTSI. Well, Joanne, I like to say that there's this, you know, there's some horses that just go sit right next to him in heaven. And, and Tucker is one of those that he's got a front row seat for sure, because he is a special horse and you guys uh, definitely won the lottery with that one. So thanks for letting us use him with all the veterans and, and first responders. And, and thanks for always being there. We love you guys. And say hi to Brett and to Gary for us. <laughs> Gary's right here. Okay. Come say hi. He's the one that made this computer work. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good to hi, see you. Gary. All right. Thanks, Joanne. Now, I just want to let you guys know when you, uh, while creating videos for students of horsemanship who are in uh, sequestration, what are we calling it? Equestri equestrians? Sequestrians. That's it. If you're sequestered, Monty was touched by the emails and posts on social media from horse lovers needing training tips and help with his horses, which is why he's doing this. But also you can write to ask Monty Roberts, ask Monty at MontyRoberts.com and get your questions answered. There's a weekly letter that goes out. It's fascinating. I do, do recommend everybody subscribe to it if you don't already. But again, you can go to AskMonty at MontyRoberts.com and you can submit a question if you have one after this interview is over. And I just wanted to mention, too, we're getting a questions. Can we watch this later if we miss any of it? There's two things. These videos will be on all the pages, be on Horse Radio Network, Horses in the Morning, and the Monty Roberts Facebook page. They'll still be there. You can go back and watch. And we're also going to be putting out the audio on the Horsemanship Radio podcast feed. So this whole audio of this whole thing will be available on Horsemanship Radio, which is a terrific show. If you're not listening to that podcast, you should be. And, and I also wanted to mention, we're getting a lot of questions in the chat. We're going to try and get to as many as we can. Uh, we'll weave those in here. And uh, Monty said he'll stay up till two, three in the morning. So uh, we'll, we'll just keep going here. I'll be asleep, but Monty can keep going. <laughs> Monty will keep going. I'll be asleep too. All right. Kathy and Rich are coming up here next. All right. Kathy and Rich, thank you guys for joining us. Hi. Thank you. I'm so excited to meet you, both of you. They were talking to you, Monty. Um, so, Kathy and Rich, what is your question for Monty Roberts? Well, we have a, a new a, a POA gelding, and we're brand new horse people. Um, he's stuck inside pretty much in the stall at the barn until our property is ready. Um, what I've learned is I've done all the groundwork that I can with him, and my next step was to take lessons. And now that we're in this social distancing, um, there's no lessons. 
So I'm wondering, he he's so well-versed in everything and I'm not, and I'm wondering what can I do with him um, so that he's not bored, that I'm learning, he's learning, he can't go in the field, It's the grass is growing, he's only can be in the arena. Um, I'm just afraid, I don't wanna bore him, I want us both to continue learning, but he knows way more than I do. <laughs> well, it's great that you admit to that because uh, most people don't, you know, <laughs> most of the world thinks that horses are just plain ignorant and there's not very intelligent animals. Uh-huh. And oh, if we only had the intelligence that they have in their scope, in their yeah. flight animal genre, they are geniuses, mm-hmm. and we, we have to um, adore that. We have to live with that. We have to love that and try mm-hmm. to figure it all out. My question to you is, I have a question back to you, is okay. do you have to be in this place where you can't put him out uh, and they have a difficult time with the yeah. areas? Yeah. Um, our goal is by the first of the month, uh, the horse will be home here uh, i'm just finishing up fences now so we've got another three weeks or so um th- that we do have to keep it where it is at right now Monty. okay okay well that's cool that's cool because i'm i'm here to tell you that any horse can take three weeks of almost anything and um the more time you can spend with him the better off you are um, walk with him talk to him, brush him, bathe him, and be with him as much as you can for these mm-hmm. three weeks. And then when you get him home, make it as ideal as you possibly can, where he can go out on some grass and be yeah. a horse uh, again. But, you know, to, to have you come up with this question is, is so, it feels so good to me because typically the traditional horseman doesn't think the way you're thinking and so many horses have to stand 24 7 in a stall and and be there for their owner to ride and have fun and then put back in the stall again and you've done more than that you're thinking about the horse too not just yourselves and i congratulate you for that and three weeks is not too much i i want you to go to jamie on the horsemanship radio thing and um Tell her about what you've done and how it's going. And Jamie will get back to me and let me know how it how it's been for you. All right. Thank you so much. I just love everything you say and do. So we really appreciate you. Well, Thank we appreciate you. you too. Fantastic. Well, we have, oh my gosh, so many questions coming in. Um, but let's see. We want to do, Glenn, do you want me to? to ask one chat question. I, oh, I got here. it up. Yep. Look at that. He's on <laughs> this technology is amazing. All right. So Deborah says, um, and assuming this is my mare chomps at the bit when she starts to get anxious, she has a nervous problem from previous riding. How do I stop this? She stops for a minute when I say no. Wow. Um, yeah. When you say no, you know, she, she doesn't, no is not a word to a horse. Um, you can teach them whoa, and no and whoa sound a lot alike. Uh, so I say use the horse's language. And the horse's language is body language. And what you do 
with yourself, with your hands, with your body, with your breathing, your core. That's all uh, that a horse wants to know about you. They don't want to know English. And what if you were Russian or Spanish? Um, then you would have to say something else. So let's get rid of the, the talking to horses so much and live with your horse by those things that the horse understands, which is body language. How are you in your pulse rate? What is your adrenaline level? And um, if your horse is anxious, I bet you're anxious too. They can synchronize with you. Horses are animals of synchrony. When they're grazing in the meadow, perfectly gentle, perfectly happy, and a lion sneaks into the meadow and has a high pulse rate and a high adrenaline level, they can sense it from 100 yards away. And I can show you this every time I put uh, a military uh, PTSI victim, post-traumatic stress victim, in the round pin, I can show you that the horse can read them like a book and that in an instant, they will either trust that veteran or not trust the veteran. And it's the veteran's core. So try to follow through with my textbook and my online university to get these lessons because there's like 700 of them out there. And uh, my word, doesn't the body have everything to do with it? Ask Jamie. She has learned. She came to me with a lot of problems with her Mustangs and so forth. And um, in how long did it take you to become a certified instructor, Jamie? Let's see. I started in 2015, I guess three, three years. Yeah. In three years, she, I, I, I'm going to tell you this with my hand up. I swear it's true. In three years, Jamie learned what it took me 15 or 20 years to learn. Now, granted, I was there to tell her. <laughs> yeah, I had a pretty good teacher. <laughs> well, but that's what we all need. And that's why this program is on. Because if I, here I sit at 85 years of age, how much longer can I get these things out that I've discovered? And that violence is not the answer. It's our body language. It's, it's what we ask the horse to do. It's picnic. Positive instant consequences are more important than the negative instant consequences. And the negative instant consequences should never have violence connected with them. Don't allow it. Violence is never the answer. So go and try your horse again and learn diaphragmatic breathing. I can tell you that's a, a wonderful thing. You can go to a speech coach. You can go to a, a voice coach. And they'll tell you about diaphragmatic breathing. You can probably look it up on the computer. I can't because I don't know how to turn one on or off. But it's probably up there all about diaphragmatic breathing where we can take our adrenaline down, our pulse rates down. I can lower my pulse rate about 10 beats per minute in about 15 or 20 seconds. Seriously. And um, you can too. So the answer to this question is, Keep working on answering the question about how do I cause my horse to understand me and my body system. Awesome. 
All right. Well, I think what we're going to do next is go to Allison. And Allison had about three different questions. Hi, Allison. So I was going to stick to your last question because I know that this is a very common problem. Uh, So I might just read it if that's okay. Yeah, read it. All right, cool. Uh, you <laughs> love it. I have an otherwise perfect OTTB, except for he's super herd bound. I've tried getting her to work farther and farther from the field, but work makes her realize she's not in the field and gets her worked up. I've tried hand grazing her and giving her treats and loving on her until she realizes how far she is from her best friends and she flips out. My plan is to keep going with the groundwork in the main arena and gradually increase her comfort zone without pushing. But oddly, the rearing, charging little mare that we also well, that's bought. A one, oh, yeah. that's a different one. Different one. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of questions right there. So are you, so, so what is your, what is your general question about that? How do you fix a, a herd bound horse? Yeah. So basically um, she's really good off the track thoroughbred. She's great when she's with the other horses we got um, in a stall. And then we took her and we put her in and there's she could care less like we could take them away she doesn't care but this fat little pony she's just so bonded with that you could take her anywhere as long as her little she just gets really like nervous and freaked out so we started taking her away and like feeding her grass and just making a really positive experience and then she'd panic realize oh my god like i'm so far from my pony and then just totally flip out so we'd calm her down and made sure that she was calm before we put her back in and we did that for a while And then I, you know, I started thinking, oh, maybe we'll just keep her inside her bubble and not, and let her kind of push that. But it just doesn't seem like, like her comfort zone is like set. And she's like, I'll walk to that next fence, but it just, it never gets any farther. So we're kind of still at this point where we're making it fun that she's outside of her pen away from her little buddy, but it doesn't seem like that distance is naturally getting farther. Okay, Monty. Right. This thing of debonding is not always an easy answer because of the particular uh, properties and roads and pastures and all the things that we have to deal with. But one must separate the horses that become overly bonded. You must separate them. Now, if you can take in somebody else's horse and put your horse with them for a while, and then go there and spend time yourself with the horse and do join up there in another piece of property somewhere and get the horse to start saying, it's you I want to be with, not those other horses. I have horses, I have a deer that will leave the other deer and come to me that's never been in a cage, never been tamed at all, but I can breathe her to me. And I'm going to do a video in the next month. Uh, We're waiting now for the weather to get right and the cameras to be right. I can breathe her out of the herd to come to me. And when she gets to me, I go completely down and lie down and breathe properly. And she comes and nuzzles me and waits there because I think she understands that I could protect her uh, in the face of danger. But she leaves the herd, and you can do it too. You can cause the horse to become bonded with you instead of all those horses. But you have to first make the break away from the other horses and get on another piece of property. Bring in some friend's horse 
and put with them for a while and shift things around so that you become the base of operations for that horse. Right. Uh, learn diaphragmatic breathing. It's so critical. It's and funny actually that you mentioned that one time she had gotten out and was like freaking out and she's actually my husband's horse and he went up and he couldn't catch her and he's all like, eh. and I just walked up to her and I slumped my shoulders and I just went, and she put her head down and he was like, that was just weird. And I'm like, she just loses it. And she just needs you to be like, calm. And then she's calm. So I feel like she'd be a really good candidate for that. So um, yeah. Every horse is looking for a safe place to be. Every horse on the face of this earth is born with the number one determination to be in a safe place. And if you prove to be that safe place, that's where they'll want to be. And you've just made my case for me because she didn't believe your husband, but she believed you and you got it right. That's so, okay, Allison. None of the horses believe my husband either. No, none yeah. of them. But you guys can train your husbands too, you know? Although my husband did suggest separating her. And I was like, oh, we can't. She loves her. No, 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 no. Okay, her husband is right. That's not a favor to her. Yeah, yeah. That's not a favor to her. Because because that causes anxiety when you're with her, but you're away from the other horses. You don't want that anxiety. You want her to be happy to be with you. Right. You can do it. Yeah. Okay. And separate so that she's not like over a fence. She's like on the other side of our No, 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 no. In another, you know. Time zone. Gone. Okay. Zip code. Yeah. I would say another county, but it doesn't have to be that far. But out of any sound or smell. Okay. Yeah. I I do this with, with some friends, you know, like we will trade you know, horses for a couple of days and then bring them back and then find another friend and trade horses for a couple of days and then bring them back. And then all of a sudden you have a horse that's looking for you as opposed to looking for their friend, because you're the constant you've done a join up. You've let them know you speak their language. You let them know you're the safe place and you're the consistent thing in their life. And then, like you said, calm yourself down, breathe yourself down and you'll, you'll get it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's amazing. Well, you know, I have to thank you for this question because I'm sitting here. uh, Pat and I have lived in this house where I'm sitting now for 54 years. We've been on this farm for 54 years. And I tell you truthfully, I cannot remember a time when in any of our fields, horses that we take out and take to the stable and saddle and so forth and so on have cried back for the other horse or horses running up and down the fence Uh, overly bonded. It just doesn't happen. And the reason for that is join up. It's living by the principles of nonviolence. They have fun doing what we ask them to do because we don't push it to the extent that it's overdone and we're actually violent with them by asking them too much. We try to keep it fun for them. Pat has horses now. Pat recently won a national championship. I can't tell you how old she is, but she was only behind me one year in school. And I I promised I wouldn't say how old she is, but she is way, way, way older than the oldest person that's ever won this contest. And her horse goes away from all these other horses and goes with her 
to Reno, Nevada or Los Angeles or San Diego and never calls back to any other horses. She, he's with her and performs like unbelievable. So you can do it too. It's just a matter of continuing to learn how to live with your horse in a very, very tranquil fashion. And, yeah, uh, I've read so much about herd boundness and listened to so many podcasts and stuff, and that's the best advice I have ever heard. So, all right, Allison, thank you so much. For, and uh, you, I know you have some other questions that we couldn't get to, but you can send those to Ask Monty. Uh, I gave away the web the website earlier. Ask Monty at montyroberts.com. You can send your questions there too. Thank you, Allison. Oh, thank you. So, right. Monty, how you doing? You up for a couple more questions that came in on chat? Listen, you promised me that I was going to be here till two in the morning. So All right. You got about enough questions done. to be here till two in the morning. Let's start with this one. All right. Hi there, Monty. Do 10 year and older wild Mustangs respond to join up as quickly as younger wild Mustangs do? That's too no. close to me. No. Really? No. 10 years old or older wild Mustangs do not respond to join up as quickly as younger ones do. Why is that, Mr. Roberts? They've had more negative experiences with human beings uh, than the ones that are one or two years of age or three years of age, et cetera, et cetera. People have shot at them. Guarantee you, people have shot at them. People have run cars past them. At least they thought the cars were meant to run over them. They've gone through all of these things. They've been in a barbed wire fence. Um, they've had other horses kick the heck out of them. Um, they've had experiences. And the younger three or four-year-old will do join up. And, and Jamie knows she comes to, to my place and we have uh, Gentling Your Wild Horse courses here. And uh, the things that I've learned in the last 15 years with these courses is just over the moon as to how quickly they will lead and go over to the round pen and accept their first saddle and first rider. It's unbelievable. But we try to keep them three and four years of age on the, um, the adoption age because when you adopt that nine or 10-year-old, they ain't green anymore. Uh, they've lived on this earth and they know that everything on the earth is not safe. And so they learn how to try to be in a safe place. And it takes a little more time once they've been stung to, to agree to human beings. You mentioned that course. That's the first course that I did at Monty's Farm. It's the Gentling Wild Horses. It takes place every summer. And it's amazing, you know, how many people spend so long trying to get a halter on their horse and we've got halters on them. We're leading them around on day one or two. Uh, it's, it's awesome. And it is amazing. And it, it, that one definitely changed the way that I react and respond to all horses when I'm interacting with them. It just teaches you a lot about yourself and your breathing and your adrenaline levels. And it was definitely an eye opener. So if you do want to take a course, I highly recommend the gently wild horses course. Um, Monty, we've got another question from Colin. And by the way, thanks y'all for writing. Can I ask you a question? Yes, sir. Who's been my best teacher of gentling wild horses? Oh, I'd have to say Diego. 
The horses. <laughs> I don't know. Between Diego and Skinny and Chief and Beauty, we had a whole bunch of really, uh, really they exciting know, ones. But Diego, but horses. Diego broke three ribs on me. He just didn't <laughs> mean to, but he, he ran over the top of me. And Diego was about four or five when he was, um, he was on a, a rescue place. And uh, he was a great teacher. But my greatest teachers have always been the horses. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And just realize that and say it to yourself every day because they are your teachers. You just have to listen. Um, Colin your, has a, oh, sorry, go ahead. Your question. All right. Colin has a question and it's, can anyone remember the name of the first racehorse? I bet you can. The first racehorse money helped go into the starting stalls. That is how long I've been a fan. I can see the horse in my mind, but I can't remember his name. Well, they're probably thinking of Lomitas. And Lomitas was 1991. Um, he was to be put down. He was champion two-year-old in Germany. And he won the best two-year-old race they had there. And then he spent the winter kind of relaxing and becoming an, uh, an adult male. And when they took him back to the races at three years of age, he said, no, I'm not going in that thing. He, first, he said no to the truck. And they tranquilized him and took him to the race two days early because that tranquilizer had to wear off. And they got there uh, to uh, another town in Germany. And um, he wouldn't go in the starting stall, the starting gate. They call it the start machine in Germany. He would not go close to it. He was finally banned from racing globally. He was on the red line. You couldn't take him on a recognized racetrack anywhere in the world. And that's when I got the call. Um, he was destroying other horses because they stayed in there so long while they fought him to try to go in. And um, Mr. Jacobs owned him and he was a very wealthy guy and he owned a racetrack himself. And so he had people trying desperately to fix him. And when I got there, I learned that everything had been done in a traditional fashion. And I took away any force. And in 10 days, he raced and he won and he became horse of the year. And his earnings and the earnings of his offspring have now exceeded 50 million U.S. dollars. Wow, that's um, amazing. That was the probably the horse you know. The very first horse to wear the Monty Roberts blanket, which is a protective blanket because of the thigmotaxis, where they lean on the rails in the starting stall. The first one was called Prince of Darkness. <laughs> that's a good name for him. He was Ooh. trying to kill people. And he was in Newmarket in England um, for Sir Mark Prescott as a trainer. And I went there and he beat me up something fierce. I was still learning. I'm still learning. In fact, the last three years of the learningest years of my life. But I was still learning and he beat me up fiercely. And I learned that if I protected his hips and flanks with a blanket, heavy, double carpet, uh, that he didn't feel the rails. 
and he went on to be a winning racehorse and the blanket is used on thousands of horses every year in the world now. So, um, yeah, I've had a, a career that is so blessed by my decision to listen to the horses and to learn from them what they need so as to be in a safe place. Well, we've got our next question. Thanks, Monty. The question is from Charity, and she says, I have a horse who is naturally just not forward, but I'm trying to make him into a dressage horse. So what are some tips to get a horse more forward off your aids? Yeah, um, and I, if I ask the age of this horse, I bet it's six or eight or nine years of age. And that means he's been through probably a lot of natural horsemanship or, or horsemanship of a traditional nature. And not going forward means you get a whip and you sting their backside with a whip so that they go forward. Thigmotaxis, into pressure. The horse doesn't go forward from a whip. They will a few times, maybe. You scare them enough. They'll go forward for a while, and then they'll go into it. The smart ones, the sensitive ones, will go into it and say, I'm not going forward. So he's not naturally forward. So you take away all pain. Take it away. I have a thing called a giddy-up rope, which is braided cotton yarn with a little tassel on the end, and you can flick it back and forth across you like this and just wait for him to go forward. But I put blinkers on them so they can't see back. If they can't see back, then they only see forward. And you just smile when they stop and won't go forward and flick this back and forth. And pretty soon they go forward and you stop the flicking right away. And I've got one right now called Ready and Perfect. And when she came to me, she wasn't ready and she wasn't perfect. That is a kiss of death name if I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's she's by more than ready and out of perfect Cheryl. And perfect Cheryl won the Breeders' Cup. So she was worth a million dollars. And she's five years old and she's never won a race and she's worthless. Not now, though, because I've got her going forward. When they opened the gates, the starting gates, she wouldn't go out. She'd kick the back out of it and go over backwards and put a rider in the hospital. Oh, it's unbelievable what she would do. So take the pain away, take the pressure away and use these techniques. There's a, a, a lesson on my online university called Walter won't go. It's my favorite one. Yeah. go The whole that. thing. And uh, you go watch that and you'll see how, why Walter goes now. Yeah, and, uh, he goes very well now. That was such a fun lesson to watch. Well, hey, I just want to let everybody know that in these extraordinary times and with the mission statement of leaving the world a better place for horses and people too, Monty has asked his team to share a free link to the online university that we've been talking about for two months. Okay, I told you there was a free day pass. Turns out they're going to give you two months for free. Unlimited access to six to 700 video lessons, notes. They do challenge questions. There's a forum and a database of hundreds of questions and answers. So sequestrians, write to askmonty at moneyroberts.com and you'll get your promo code for two free months. That is amazing. Thank you for doing that. 
All right. So, we have time for one more, Monty. No, no. Ten more. <laughs> so Glenn has uh, to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm, it's late here. Uh, so I have one more. Let me put Stephanie's up here. I thought this would be a good one to end with, actually. Uh, Ooh, that's a good one, Stephanie. I like it. All right. Stephanie's question is, I work with a Mustang who started to turn his butt to you when you enter the stall. What should I do? Wow. That's so uh, appropriate for me right now because I just got back recently from um, Australia, from Perth, Australia. And the first thing that happened when I got there is that these girls that were running the stable said, Monty, come here. We can't catch this mare in the stall. And I said, oh, come on. What, what are you talking about? So I went over there and I opened the door, slid it back, and I stepped in and I saw two frogs. Oh, boy. Rear feet right in front of my face. Uh, turn her head away and kick back at me with both hind feet. And now she comes to you and puts her head here and I can rub it. They've got to find comfort in coming to you. Do join up. Now, what I did with her is I pitched a rope around her neck and then I, I managed to get her pulled to me and gave her a rub. And then I started this business of pitching the rope on her backside. When she turned away, I stayed out of the kick zone. And every time she turned away, I pitched the rope up on her backside like that. And she didn't like that at all. And she would turn around and then I would give her a rub on the face. And uh, I said to her, I love you very much. And I want you to come to me and be nice. And she is. Um, her name is Rebellious Bell. And she got her name uh, very uh, thoughtfully by the people that were around her, uh, Rebellious Bell, watch for her because I think she'll be a champion maybe because she's sensitive enough to really run fast if we can once get it all put together. All right, that sounds to me like Monty just told you to put $2 on Rebellious Bell to win <laughs> when you see her <laughs> in the lineup. So fantastic. Good hot tip for you there, Monty. Thanks. Thank you, Monty, for doing this with us at the Horse Radio Network. We really appreciate you joining us tonight. And I wanted to remind everybody that uh, the Horse Radio Network, somebody was asking, a couple of people were asking, how do you listen to Debbie's show, your daughter's show, Horsemanship Radio? And you can find it on any podcast player. If you don't know how to get to that, the easiest thing to do is go on to your app store on your phone and search for Horse Radio Network. It's a free app. You can download it. It has all the shows from the Horse Radio Network, including Jamie and I, Horses in the Morning, mm -hmm. uh, the most popular podcast in the horse world. And then also Horsemanship Radio with Debbie, uh, who has Monty and, on and answers a lot of questions. There's yes. a lot of these kind of questions answered on that show and yeah. some fantastic guests as well. Well, you guys are so important to us and to the horses of this world. Keep doing what you do. I just love it to death. Well, Thank you, you keep doing what you do, Monty. You got another 20 years in this, so... Uh... I know, at least, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now you might be locked up in your house like the rest of us for all 20 years, but, you know, well, so someday you'll get out. <laughs> I can get out with my deer anyway. That's they true. haven't attracted anything yet, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, right. I, have, uh, I have a show to do in the morning. So thank you all for joining us. We really appreciate it. We'll do this again sometime. I am certain everybody seemed to like it. And we hope you did. Uh, if Debbie was writing down all the questions we didn't get to. And she has them in a document. We'll try and get to them over on Horsemanship Radio here over the next uh, couple of episodes of that. And we will put this out as a podcast. If you missed any of it, it will be on Horsemanship Radio. And of course, the video 
is still on the Facebook page to watch. You uh, guys stay safe now. Thanks, everybody. Love you. Thanks, Bonnie. Love you too. See ya.